Hello and welcome to Jaw Law. I'm your host, Joe McGregor, reporting in from the lovely Dallas, Texas. And today we have, by popular demand, an episode about bad online reviews. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, there's not like a ton of people that are interested in listening to a podcast about dental law. But a lot of people know that I do this and they'll listen to an episode here and an episode there. And I had three different people, all clients, who asked about bad online reviews because they're all going through something. And the point got made by one of them that you hear a lot of really good opinion and instruction out there in the consulting world and the podcast world and and stuff online. You hear really good thoughts about what you should do about negative reviews. However, there's not really a very deep dive into the legalities of online reviews and what you can do. Now, before I go any further, and if you want to save yourself some time, what I will tell you is that what you already think about bad online reviews, that's where we're going to end up, which is the best thing you can do about bad online reviews is to have a ton of really good reviews. So if you want to hit stop right now, do it. If you want to hear a bunch of nerdy law stuff, well, here we go. So let's paint the problem. What usually happens? Well, when I get a call, someone calls me and says, Joe, someone has put up a bad review of me on Facebook or Google or Yelp or one of the many places that you can leave a bad online review. A hundred percent of the time, my client insists that the review contains false information. I'd say 90% of the time, this is posted by a disgruntled patient. About 10% of the time, it seems to be posted by a disgruntled former employee. And those uh, distinctions are going to be important. So when we start talking about bad online reviews, the first place we start is the concept of defamation. Defamation is the idea that you publicly lie about someone, particularly in the concept of their character. You're sullying their good name. In order for something to constitute defamation, it has to have at least one statement that is false. So you got to have at least one falsity and, except for one exception, and I'll talk about it in a second, but the additional aspect of this, it has to cause damage. Now, online, that seems to be taken care of because people see it. One of these other distinctions is that it needs to be published. So, for instance, if someone comes into the office and says, you're a lousy dentist and you don't know what you're doing, well, if no one hears that, it's it's usually not considered defamation. It's still a defamatory statement, but there's not really anything you're going to be able to do about it. It has to be published. So if I go onto Facebook and I say, Dr. So-and-so is a lousy dentist and he doesn't know what he's doing, well, I've published that. The whole world can see it. That false statement has to cause harm. So if I say, I don't know, something ridiculous, uh, Dr. So-and-so wears a size 18 shoe and you really have a size 8 shoe. Well, that's a false statement, but does anybody care? Maybe somebody does. I don't know. Maybe that's not a great example. Anyway, point is it has to harm the person that this bad statement got made about. Now, there is an exception, 
and it does potentially apply to dentists. And that's this concept of defamation per se. In law, there was this idea that there are some defamatory statements that are so severe that we don't even have to prove that there are damages. The traditional one is you could accuse a woman of being unchaste. That was considered so defamatory that you did not have to prove that she was in fact unchaste. It's just you're in trouble if you say that. Similarly, you could accuse somebody of having sexual diseases and that was considered defamatory per se. Well, the other category of defamatory per se were accusations about professional qualifications, which there is an argument that that applies to dentists. That dentist is unqualified to practice dentistry. There is an argument that that is defamation per se, and you don't have to, in fact, prove damages. I probably wouldn't rest everything on that theory, but it's there. It's available in most jurisdictions. Okay, so coming back, there has to be a falsity. It has to be uh, published to the world, and it has to cause you harm. But here's the catch, and I feel that this is where most of the potential cases fall apart. There is no law against opinion. So for instance, I can say I went to dentist so-and-so and I felt that he smelled like stinky cheese. Well, that's my perception. It's not a fact. I'm not saying he definitely smells like stinky cheese. Just I felt that he smelled or he made me feel uncomfortable. He got too close to me. Just whatever. If it is something where it's a perception and it's subjective, it's my opinion, then it doesn't matter if it's true or not because it's me. And we presume that most people can understand when they read that, that's an opinion. It would be different if I said this dentist pulled out the wrong tooth. That can be verified. And if that is false, then you as a dentist who had that bad and false statement made about you, you actually have legal recourse. And we'll talk about what your recourse is in a minute. But the point is, is that if it's an opinion, you just be sad and disappointed because you can't do anything about it. Now, a lot of people will make the argument that, oh, this is free speech. You know, I can say anything I want. That's actually not true. This is kind of a complicated conversation, but for the most part, free speech does not protect someone against making false statements. Now, where it gets really tricky is what if I do the false statement anonymously? And this is really tough. Well, from a legal perspective, there's more and more case law that is suggesting in there are so many cases and law review articles and stuff on this subject. But there's a concept called commercial speech. So if I say something like I hate the president and I actually think he has a 40 IQ, I don't even know if that's possible. But anyway, I think this this guy's a, a dummy and I think he's actually a communist. You know, that's just something defamatory and it potentially false, right? Uh, but but it's political in nature. And I am going to have a lot more protection against something like that. Or if I say something about religion or, or whatever, I'm going to have a little bit more latitude in that. But when it's clearly commercial speech, it has something to do with the commercial transaction. There's actually a lot less protection for that. That actually cuts both ways. And like I said, it's, it's a conversation maybe for a different day. But for the most part, courts are a little bit more willing to address commercial speech. Now, the complication about anonymity is sometimes you can't find out who it is that's making that commercial speech. There are, however, cases where judges 
have before I go there. Anonymity has been something granted really from day one. You know, we know Hamilton is is this really popular musical that is my opinion is the greatest musical ever. But, you know, Hamilton, if you remember, he uh, helped write the Federalist Papers. That was anonymous. I think his name that he shared with Madison and John Jay was Publius. But he authored anonymous attacks on other people, too. And that was quite common. And it's, it's really been a concept that from day one, this country has protected. But when it becomes commercial speech and it contains false statements, then courts are willing to peel back that anonymity that somebody may have on a Yelp review or wherever. Super tough to get. And different states do it differently. When a case is tried, it's going to be the application of the state law. So does Virginia allow the peeling back what what they call the unmasking? Can they force Yelp to tell the court who it was that posted that bad review? Well, possibly. Possibly not. Depends on the case. Depends on the state. Now, what if somebody has posted a negative review about you? That negative review calls you something that is false or accuses you of something that's false. What can you do? Well, you can sue them. Usually that's initiated with something called a demand letter where you write them a letter and you say, you, you know, I give you three days to take that down or I will sue you for everything you're worth. I think most lawyers will tell you that, you know, unless you can prove that this thing is just destroying your business, this could be a tough case. So there are lawyers who do these types of cases, but again, it's going to have to be pretty dramatic. I'm thinking, I hate to use this example, but it's the one that I think everyone will understand. But if it's a pediatric dentist and there's an accusation of, you know, a parent says, this person molested my child and that's false, then that can destroy a pediatric dental practice. But short of that, it's going to be really, really tough to really convince a judge or a jury that a single false statement out there was the reason that you failed at your practice. It's a possibility. I'm just saying it's going to be tough and it's going to be very expensive. And if it was uh, posted by someone who was anonymous, well, then it just got 10 times tougher because now you're having to involve people like Google or Facebook or whoever in your lawsuit. Now, I will say that most of the, I feel like Google and Yelp and all these places that they get a really bad rap. Well, that's because they probably deserve it. That being said, there are ways that you can, for instance, flag a particular post like on Google. You can flag it, you as the manager of that business page, and you can suggest that they have violated uh, the policies, inaccurate statements of fact, or violation of Yelp's policies. So for instance, when I mentioned that people who are former disgruntled employees making posts, if they are saying, I used to work there and I know that they do some illegal shady stuff, well, that's a problem. But if they go there and say, hey, I am a patient there, but they, you know, they did this and did that and it was false and you can prove it. Well, that's a former employee, not a former patient. And if they never received treatment from you, then they have made a false statement because it was not a genuine review. And you can go to Yelp and to to Google and these other forums and say, this is not an authentic review. You have to prove it, but it's available to you. And things like that are probably worth it. If you're going to get some bad reviews, they should be bad, right? They they should be authentic. If you're going to get a fake bad review, you, you can probably try to do something about it, especially if you have a pretty good idea of who it was. 
as we know, sometimes these former employers are the least creative and not very good at hiding who they are. But I'm going to come back to where I started, which is the number one antidote to having a bad review is to have a whole bunch of good ones. Now, it's my personal opinion, and this is not legal, so we've been kind of heavy in the law today, but to be honest, I think there's a lot to learn from bad reviews. We've been talking about how, whether there's a falsity in the review, but a lot of these bad reviews have some kernel of truth. And I think it would be wise for a good business person to try to step back and say, what was it that was true? Yeah, there's some falsity here, but what is true? What made them so upset that they thought that they couldn't come to me and tell me what was wrong? And they had to go to the world. They're so mad. They don't. It's not that they won't come back, but they want other people to not come here either. There's something to learn there. And I think that it would be beneficial to you to understand what that is or do your best to understand. There's a couple of strategies, and I'm not going to get into that, about, about how to address whether you should respond or not respond. That is going to be a podcast for someone else, you know, a consultant or whatever. I want to keep this fairly legal. But what I do want to say is that in almost all of the scenarios that we have had in, in our law firm's history, if I had to guess, about 10% of maybe 20, I don't know, because I can think of a couple of uh, specific examples. There have been times, and it's not that rare, that our clients have had positive outcomes where there's been a reversal. Google or Yelp or somebody took a post down. But for the rest of them, I think there's a lot of frustration. Clients were like, hey, this isn't fair because that's not true. That's not what happened. Oh, and one of the other biggest legal aspects here, don't violate HIPAA. We've seen that. Don't share protected health information on Yelp. That's a really, really dumb thing to do. It probably does not need to be said, but I've seen it, so I guess it does need to be said. Anyway, the point being is that a year later, six months later, those clients, they're not bothered by it anymore. They're annoyed, sure, because it wasn't valid or they didn't think it was fair. But the 60 positive reviews that they got between here and there, it kind of makes it all go away. So there is an element here that the recency of it makes it sting a little bit. And there are legal options to take care of it. But for the most part, most of the ones that I see there's probably not a legal option. In the event there is a legal option, it's probably more expensive and time-consuming than it's worth. And with a little time, it's going to wash away anyway. Well, there you go. Everything you wanted to know about the law side of bad online reviews. Thanks for sticking around. If you like what we're doing, please share with your colleagues. And if you can, give us a review. The reviews help us out a lot. Helps uh, get it in front of more people. So if you think this is helpful to you and you, it might be uh, helpful to other people, giving it a good review certainly spreads the good word. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.